And welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe. I'm Doug Keck at the very busy intersection of faith and reason. It's always great to see you each week. Your questions are so important to us. Email them at spitzersuniversityw10.com. Check out all of Father Spitzer's websites, the Magis Center one, the Credible Catholic one, Purposeful Universe as well. And of course, Father Spitzer's Universe is proudly always available on our EWTN On Demand channel. It's a program that's always in demand, so we make sure it's there. And also on our YouTube channel, we recently added to our on-demand page. That's our free page, Thou Shalt Love. It's a very inspiring story of the life of Blessed Cardinal Stefan Wyszynski. It was produced in Poland by our EW10 Poland team. It's a wonderful, wonderful program. And our show topic, Satan Customizes His Temptations, from Father's book, Christ vs. Satan in Our Daily Lives, available naturally through the EW10 Religious Catalog, EW10RC.com for all things Catholic, as well as the Book of the Month, which is by our good friend, Father Brian Milady, of who's on open line these days. St. Thomas Aquinas rescues modern psychology. I think he might have rescued it from Dr. Ray, but I'm not sure that's in the book. <laughs> and we'll have to welcome Father Spitzer now as we turn to the West Coast. Great to see you, Father. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, Doug. Thanks. It's always good to oh, see so you. And I, before you start with the prayer, I wanted to mention that uh, we were going to pray for Lee South, uh, sure. my wonderful producer on um, Bookmark, who's had some health issues, so I want to kick that off, right? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for all the blessings that you give us, especially the blessing in this country of a renewed opportunity to restore the culture of life. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit down upon us now, Doug, myself, our whole audience this day, so that whatever we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. Please bless uh, dear Lee South and bring her back uh, to the fullness of health. And please bless all of us uh, in this time uh, so that we might have the full energy to bring your word to the world, asking all of these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray Christ. for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Father. I really appreciate that, especially, I'm sure, Lee will as well. Let's get to a couple of uh, articles before we get to the questions okay. uh, that we have for people. What, what I thought was a funny story, it was on and uh, having to do with uh, a video and our church pop article had it. it, was this great scene, I think from Italy, where this little white nun walks up where these two women are staging a kind of lesbian love scene. And, and the sister yeah. gets there, stands up there, and Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, it's the devil, it's the devil. God bless her. You know, and, and she's yeah. gotten a lot of likes and a lot of views. But there's oh, somebody wow. who, uh, you know, has lived out her faith and stood up for it and was willing to be mocked and made fun of. Yeah. They, of course, sneered at her, but I, I wanted to mention that. Yeah. As, uh, oh, I think uh, it's wonderful. Her, it's, so. Yeah. Yeah, it truly is the devil. I mean, he's uh, right. he's certainly sexualized the culture, and we've taken the bait. Absolutely, and he's, uh, you know, so if you if missed it, check out our Church Pop website, uh, and you can see that clip. Also, another interesting article, small thing, is that uh, apparently Webster has decided to include a new definition. They haven't changed the definition for what a female or a woman is, but they've added in something, having a gender identity that is the opposite of male. 
Oh, well, that is an interesting uh, <laughs> definition. Uh, I, <laughs> good. Uh, I, I would agree with it in the most yeah, generic right. sense of <laughs> Right, word. right, right, right. Yeah. Right, so. Uh, what else can I say other than they have bent their will to the, uh, to the will of the, uh, to the culture? Yeah. Absolutely. Just a couple of quick, interesting things. Let's get to something that's uh, really uh happening in headlines and this is uh, Archbishop Nauman who's a uh, you know him he's a mm -hmm. wonderful yeah. wonderful uh, Archbishop and he's been mm -hmm. so involved with the pro-life movement led the Bishops Conference uh, committee on that for so long and he was attacked recently uh, by a, a local rabbi uh, who was claiming that uh, you know that uh, Nauman was kind of effectively imposing a religious uh, you know quota on things on other people who aren't Catholic and and he, he made the point that uh, that opposition to abortion is not a solely religious issue at all and it's really a human rights issue and goes on to say from a Catholic perspective abortion is not principally a religious issue but a fundamental human rights issue our faith helps mm -hmm. us understand the dignity of every person and every human life created in the divine image is taught in the Hebrew scriptures, but reason alone is sufficient to know that it is wrong to destroy an innocent human life. Moreover, the mere fact that the law coincides with religious beliefs does not mean it's, imper it's an impermissible imposition of religion, Nauman pointed out. Yeah, and uh, of course, um, I've written a book uh, on this uh, called Ten Universal Principles. It's based truly on the natural law. No religious uh, revelation required in order to understand a single argument in that little book. Mm -hmm. And in that book, I make it very clear that the, uh, that the right to life and, of course, the uh, immorality of abortion is purely a justice issue. It is purely an issue of not only the inalienable right to life, but it's also uh, a, a violation of the principle of non-maleficence, which stands at the very foundation of justice. It is there in the Hippocratic Oath, clearly not uh, you know, a, a document of divine revelation, but uh, nevertheless, what uh, uh, every doctor uh, used to be able to say with good conscience, and of course, abortion was certainly prohibited uh, in that, and of course, we can also see in a, um, a variety of other uh, just purely mm -hmm. uh, justice documents that abortion uh, is uh, is viewed as an unjust uh, and in fact immoral or unethical um, you know act mm -hmm. and so uh, for all intents and purposes this is no mystery at all right. and uh, I agree with Archbishop Nauman that this rabbi has certainly uh, miscategorized it misclassified mm -hmm. it as being merely right. religious right. and so um, uh, yeah I have to say that is a very good correction and right. Archbishop Nauman's correction stands fast in the court of natural law not uh, necessarily in the court of divine revelation uh, so that was really a, a, right. a really an unjust accusation what on else the part new? of that rabbi what else is yeah. new what uh, else is new <laughs> he goes yeah. on to say that the rabbi accuses me I thought this was interesting accuses me of trying to deprive Kansans of personal choice regarding their destinies. Yet, this is exactly what the Kansas Supreme Court did by making the outlandish claim that a right to abortion exists in the Kansas Constitution, taking abortion policy out of the hands of the people and their duly elected representatives. 
Absolutely. And again, Archbishop Nauman, uh, very uh, right on the marker, excellent uh, uh, natural argument that he is making there. And it's pretty clear uh, that when the courts uh, do the, um, the legislating, as it were, uh, the legislature, which is voted on by the people, or initiative, which is voted on by the people directly, uh, is not doing the talking. Mm -hmm. So um, he is absolutely correct in that respect. And uh, furthermore, we can also say that what the Supreme Court did was to turn things back to the states, back uh, to the voters uh, to make a determination about what they want. It was the Supreme Court that tried to establish a so-called constitutional right where none existed, as Justice Alito uh, has pointed out and mm. shown. So I think we've got uh, Archbishop Nelman right on the marker. Right, absolutely. Another story related to that was an article from Rob Royal who pointed out there have been about 900,000 abortions annually in recent years and the available mm -hmm. sh figures show that two-thirds of them take place in the states with the highest abortion rates were California, Illinois, New, New Jersey, New York, Maryland, Michigan, among the high abortion rate states. Only Florida seems mm -hmm. likely to change anything significantly. I mean, that's not a great thing to acknowledge, but when people are running around acting like somehow abortion's been outlawed, when the vast majority of where they're happening are in states that will that could have laws that are even yeah. more uh, open than than Roe was. Yeah, I think what's going on here is, of course, our opposition is uh, running a, a marvelous propaganda campaign. And the propaganda campaign they're running is uh, to try and get people to think they have lost uh, a constitutional right when, in fact, none existed to begin with. And the attempt to try and, and uh, as, at least uh, justify the non-existence of such a constitutional right, which was never there, uh, was done on the basis of shoddy science, which has now been superseded like, you know, 20 times over. So, I mean, this is, uh, you know, pretty poor stuff. But, uh, okay. For lack of any better argument, uh, the opposition wants to claim uh, these things. Uh, they have not, of course, successfully shown that there was any scientific warrant to justify abortion, and that certainly there was a constitutional right, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, refuting what uh, Justice Alito said. So, as far as I can determine right now, this is just a smoke and mirrors. Uh, it has uh, been put out there to try and get people all excited. And what uh, Rob Royal is uh, pointing out is uh, simply that, um, that uh, uh, well, is it going to have an mm -hmm. initial effect on numbers? It probably won't. However, I am a hopeful person. Uh, I really do believe that, um, I, and I hope with every fiber of my being, that in this state, California and other states, that initiatives can come forward, which will begin to start limiting at least third trimester abortions, perhaps even second and third trimester abortions, because most people in the United States do not want them. 92% of people in the United States do not um, agree that third trimester abortions are moral, and uh, 70 Two percent, I believe, uh, believe that second and third, uh, I mean, second uh, trimester abortions are immoral. So I think if we look at that, there's a great deal of hope in the conscience and the collective conscience of our individual citizens in those states to try and at least begin to delimit 
some of those late-term abortions, uh, which are certainly egregious. And um, I think uh, there are other things that we might be able to do even legislatively. Mm -hmm. uh, I am uh, definitely uh, in favor not of, you know, for me, you know, the idea here is to protect the life of the innocent. And I'm going to stand up for the voices of those innocents uh, you know, until I don't have a voice any longer. Mm -hmm. Because uh, uh, this is not about women's freedom. It's mm -hmm. never been about women's freedom. It has been about the right of an innocent human being to live and to not be murdered or pulled apart in the womb. And of course, people will say, well, that's the mother's right. Only if you treat that little baby as property. And the only time we've ever treated human beings as property, besides the Roe v. Wade decision, was in the Dred Scott versus um, uh, uh, Sanford decision, when of course we decided to call um, uh, black human beings, Negro human beings, or as the Supreme Court said, uh, 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 classify them as chattel, as movable property, which means that they were at the disposal of their white masters. Now we have babies being treated as chattel at the disposal of their mothers. This kind of definition of any human being as property has got to stop. Mm -hmm. uh, these human beings have their own individual human rights, as can be shown again and again because they have a full human genome, a zygote, which will be the origin and the unity of every single cell in their body for the rest of their lives. It's all substantially present right there at the stage of the single-celled zygote, fertilized and, and um, attached or unattached. It is all present. And so you have a substantially present human being there. It has that human human being needs to be protected. He or she uh, should, uh, for all intents and purposes, enjoy the same rights as any other human being, regardless of the dependency that that human being has on a mother at any point in time. I mean, you cannot create a dependency argument, because if you do that dependency argument, uh, you know, for abortion, mm -hmm. you know, he's dependent on the mother, the mother therefore has the right to kill him at will. Well, so is an infant. An infant is dependent on their mother, requires lots of time uh, from the mother, lots of attention from the mother, and of course, you want to let it slide uh, into infanticide then? Is, that, is dependency a good argument for infanticide? If it's not a good argument for infanticide, it's not a good argument for abortion. And, and I might point out that Peter Singer uh, over there at Princeton has made that very argument uh, that, uh, well, if you're going to allow abortion, what? the heck you may as well allow um, you know uh, uh, infanticide as well It's based mm -hmm. on the same argument of dependency so uh, let's face facts there's only one criterion to identify um, whether or not a person is a, a human being is, is a person under the law and that is their humanity mm -hmm. if they are a human being right full human genome a zygote that will give rise if they're substantially completely present regardless of the stage of development mm -hmm. and of course a little you know, post-born human being is hardly any more developed than, uh, you know, a, a nine-month uh, pre-born human being who's about to be aborted. There's
There's no, what's the developmental difference? Give me a break. I mean, right. the whole the whole set of arguments breaks down in sheer sophistry from start to finish. The, we we just have to end this kind of uh, you know uh, uh, you know sophistry. We have to start protecting the rights of of the the preborn. We have to get back the soul of this country to stand for justice. I'm not talking about a religiously conceived soul. I mean the spirit of human beings that has conscience and can grasp what is right and wrong is self-reflective in that conscience. That spirit, that soul has to be regained. That purely secular soul, which we are all in possession of, that purely secular soul that combines empathetically with other human beings to form a collective of justice and rights for all, liberty and justice for all. And that's, of course, what we want to defend. And all of this other stuff, it's all sophistry. It's all meant to be a fine propaganda campaign to take those rights away from innocent human beings to, to whom those rights belong intrinsically mm -hmm. and inalienably. Well said. Uh, last time we got together, there was a question well, on one mm -hmm. of the recent shows, at least, there was a question yeah. that had to do with, uh, you know, what's the impact of abortion? We, we, we read about studies on women, but mm -hmm. what about men? And I know you were going to look into it, right? Yeah, I, I did, actually. Um, yeah, the, um, there's a wonderful article there um, uh, called... Um, uh, the Hallow Men. It's on the mm. USCCB right. website, and it's by Dr. Vincent Rue, and he is a, um, a doctor who has actually done uh, one of the very first sets of studies on post-abortion syndrome in women. He's now extended that um, uh, into um, uh, the area of men, but he's just at the preliminary stage of, of his um, of his work, and he has discovered that there is, in fact, uh, a real effect upon men. Uh, he calls it the hollow man. Uh, you know the effects of of uh, grieving and um, and um, uh, I think it's right. uh, uh, the effects Absolutely. of grieving on, on on men. Well, I was uh, post able to print it out since you uh, pointed it oh. out so we can uh, make a couple of the points there so i uh, okay. so i won't you leave you hanging out there uh yeah. talking about psychological injury in in men following abortion likely underestimated due to men's propensity to avoid disclosure to begin with and he goes yeah. on in 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 this study in the article which is available on the usccb website uh, right. talks about a reduction in self-disclosure by both partners, which decreases the intimacy for a relationship survival, increased use of defensive communication behaviors, development of partner communication apprehensiveness, a loss of spiritual collect connectiveness. And, and this is for both of them, but that the men yeah. uh, can be pushed further into anxious masculinity, subconsciously convinced that if the world acts as if their feelings don't matter, then they just pretend not to have them. And that's the big thing is everybody wants men to share their feelings yeah. all the time, right? Except on yeah, this. That's right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Except on this. <laughs> Good right. point, Doug. Right. And thank you for that. Uh, that was a great summary there. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, you, you took me right off the uh, uh, off of the frying pan and put me into the cool water. <laughs> well, I'm happy you feel that way. So let's. Uh, yeah. And I don't. I don't mean to cut you off on that, but let's go oh, to no, some no. of our uh, our questions here. Uh, somebody sure. wrote to us recently. This one. Uh, uh, dear Father Spitzer, 
Uh, it has always been an absolute joy watching your show. I'm learning things I never knew before. At times it seems as if Doug interrupts you just as you're making a powerful point. Is he aware of how lame uh -huh. some of his comments are in relation to your awesome comments and insights? Perhaps I'm being too judgmental as not giving Doug enough credit. Mother and Jungle obviously saw something wonderful in Doug. Uh, this is from John, and I just want to tell John that I keep this sign on my desk at work so all people know that this is not the first time I have to apologize. It says, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. I apologize if I've... Uh, for all no, my lame uh, jokes with Father Spitzer, uh, no, but uh, no, no, I have to tell you, I love not only your lame jokes, but what you just did right now. You looked up that article and got the four salient points right out of it, and just complimented everything I said. And I think our chemistry is fantastic. I wouldn't have it any other way. And uh, I think Doug, you're one of the most insightful people. Your follow-up questions are fantastic, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm so grateful that you are here and uh, like I said I would be bereft uh, without your presence yeah, so yeah, I'm, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm the contented guy. Well I appreciate <laughs> you memorizing what I wrote you for, for you to say there. Uh, that's wonderful. Uh, it's yeah, always good. In the mail. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's move on and, and we and we'll do our best John we appreciate your yeah. Yeah, you're, but we want to also show that, you know, we're not ducking anybody's questions here one way or the other. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so if you write uh, to yeah. us, and a tough question, we're, we're going to put it on as, as best we can. Yeah. And next up, Dear Father Spitzer, uh, on a recent episode, you discussed how man evolved, and at some point about 60,000 years ago, God infused a soul into man. If I understand uh -huh. the scenario correctly, uh, then there's no Garden of Eden. Was there no Adam and Eve who spoke with and walked with God and who were tempted by Satan and sinned against God, bringing death into the world, Yana. Okay, Yana, um, this is a good, um, um, uh, very good question. And let me just try and answer it first of all uh, with a, first an encyclical you want to get a hold of is by Pope Pius XII from 1943 called Divino Afflante Spiritu. Now, in that encyclical, what um, uh, Pope uh, P uh, Pius XII is saying is uh, two things that are really important. Uh, the first thing is that um, the purpose of uh, Scripture is to give sacred truths necessary for salvation. So anything that's, you know, sacred truth necessary for salvation, Scripture is right in its mode. But the purpose of science is to give an empirical, mathematical explanation of the physical universe. That's not the purpose of sacred Scripture, says uh, Pius XII. And he says, look, if, well, first thing we've got to do is we've got to let science uh, be science, uh, science do science, and we've got to let Scripture uh, do divine revelation. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing uh, that we have to remember. The second thing uh, Pope Pius uh, XII says, in a, uh, this is in section 33 of that same encyclical, is yes, the biblical author can use metaphors. They're not always speaking strictly literally. Mm -hmm. They also have a set of uh, ideas and what we call uh, cultural categories, ways of viewing reality, etc., etc. This biblical author is there. Now, the important thing to remember about the Catholic Church is that we do not have the dictation view of inspiration. So when God inspires the biblical author, he doesn't say to the biblical author, okay, shut up, I'm going to be dictating now, take down everything I say, and this is the word. Mm -hmm. He says instead, 
um, he inspires, as, as, as Pope Pius XII says, he moves us. He, he gives us a sense of the direction that we need to go to represent the sacred truths of salvation. And the biblical author then, working in conjunction with the inspiration of God, so-called co-participative view of inspiration, the biblical author is working together with the divine inspirer, and this is how uh, the scriptures are born. Now, what does the divine, uh, what does the human biblical author bring into the picture? Well, he's bringing in categories that he understands, but they're appropriate to his time. They're appropriate to his culture, but he's bringing those things in. He can use metaphors uh, if he doesn't know, you know, the literal truth. Uh, he, he knows the sacred truth that needs to be, um, uh, you know, given there. So let's kind of break that apart and say, well, how does that apply to the Adam and Eve story? Uh, the vast majority of biblical scholars would say that the Garden of Eden is not like a literal garden in that sense. It is what is called the state of paradise. Mm -hmm. So it's a metaphor, the Garden of Eden is a metaphor that's used uh, to represent a state of paradise. What's the state of paradise? The state of paradise is, uh, the sent, is a, almost a direct sense of God's will, a direct sense of God's presence in our lives. It is like God is a straight shot right into our conscience, right into our uh, apperception of his presence in our lives. It's a set, uh, you know, it, it's really a, a kind of an ecstasy, like a, almost a, a sort of a mystical state in many ways. And it's also a very clear state of what God's will is and, and unencumbered uh, by, you know, our ability to follow it. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the metaphor. That's you know the Garden of Eden is paradise. Of course, it's a paradise. It would be great uh, to live that way. The second thing is the serpent in the story. It's not a, a real serpent. The serpent is a metaphor, and it's a metaphor for good old evil spirit. Uh, I shouldn't say good old. Obviously, <laughs> it's a metaphor for the bad old evil spirit. And the, and of course, the evil spirit um, is talking about uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. To eat that fruit on that tree. So what is that all about? Was there like a tree, a real tree? The tree is a metaphor mm -hmm. uh, for what? Um, our desire, right, to have the knowledge of good and evil, but it's, it's the subtext is it's a metaphor for our desire to be like gods, our pride, our ego gone full blast. Now, even though Adam and Eve are in a state of paradise, and by the way, we're not denying, uh, you know, Adam and Eve are not metaphors. Adam and Eve are very real. First man, first woman. Mm. Uh, very real. And ensouled Adam and Eve are very real. And they have a very real and direct sense of God and a very real and direct sense of His law. And in, in addition to that, um, uh, they also have an ego. They also have a sense of, you know, hmm, I wonder, if, uh, you know, what God has that I don't have. Maybe I deserve that too. Maybe I'm entitled too. Maybe I should have some of that too. Mm -hmm. So that's there in them, but the will of God is very strong in them. They don't have concupiscence yet. They don't have, they're not encumbered yet. So of course, uh, what does the serpent do? The serpent representing the evil spirit. The evil spirit comes along and says, you know, 
God has, and of course, can Adam and Eve be tempted? Yes, they're free. Remember, God made Adam and Eve free in that paradise state. So he can't block out the influence of the evil spirit. He can't block out the influence of ego. And so, of course, what does this serpent, what does the, this devil, this evil spirit say? The evil spirit says, oh, you know, you know, God's got so much more. He's withholding from you, right? The whole implicit sense of that text is God is withholding something. If you want to be like God's yourself, mm -hmm. if you want to be like the Creator, if you're not content to be just the old creature here, if you think you've been gypped and you're entitled, well, all you got to do, look at that tree, it's so good. I mean, in other words, look at, uh, you know, the, the, the fruit of that tree, the knowledge of good and evil, the, the pathway to being a God yourself, go for it. Disobey. And therein, right, the ego and the vision of God in its purity, right, are in battle with one another. And, and then, of course, we know what happens uh, that uh, Adam and Eve, that they, uh, they uh, sin, they fall, and when they fall, that direct sense of the vision of God is lost. So now we've got the consequences of original sin. We've lost that direct sense of the vision of God, that direct sense of the presence of God, the direct sense of the holiness, sacredness, mystical presence and joy and, 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 and tremendum of God that is part of our being. We lost it. Now, in the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. what we hold is that when the fall happens, the man did not, human beings did not fall all the way. So they didn't go 100% bad. That would be more of a Calvinistic mm -hmm. uh, viewpoint. The Catholic Church would say, and I'll just, this is of course a Spitzerian generalization, is that um, human beings fell 49% of the way at the most. So that we could say that, 50, that human beings after the fall are still 51% good. Their conscience is still 51% active. Their sense of God is at least, you know, uh, you know, 51% uh, aware of God and aware of His holiness and aware of the need to obey Him and aware of His goodness and an and awareness of His, his sacredness and, and, and His majesty and aware of the need to worship. All these things are at least 51% uh, present after the fall. But then, subsequent to that, in all the progeny of Adam and Eve, obviously the same problem exists. Concupiscence is there. There's, we're looking through a glass darkly now. We don't have the full uh, vision of God now. And, and, uh, and so we're really subject. We're much more subject to sin than we were. Now Jesus then comes along. I mean, we're getting outside of the fall story, the Adam and Eve story now. But when Jesus does come along, the Son of God himself, he restores us, but not he doesn't just take away the penalty of concupiscence. He gives us the graces that will be needed to overcome concupiscence. So that grace of baptism is incredibly powerful because the Holy Spirit's coming to us, inspiring us. And I would say, if you look at, you know, the, the real, the, really the, the, the presence of God in your own life, right. as, as a little child, what you were thinking and, and just the awareness you had of the Holy Spirit and God working 
working within you. And you look up into these stained, I used to look at these stained glass windows in my church on Wilder Avenue, Sacred Heart Church there. I'd look at those, those uh, windows and I would just, I mean, they were blasting off the, 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 the windows at me. Wow. I mean, they were just fascinatingly being taken into my soul. How was I doing that? I was doing right. it, of course, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit at baptism. And of course, communion enhanced it all the more. Don't want to cut you off there, Father, but we've got about 49% of the show left. So uh, <laughs> we'll be back with Father Spitzer right after this short break. Thanks. Appreciate you staying with us for part two of Father's Business Universe. Satan customizes his temptations is the topic, but before we get there, we'll finish off a couple of uh, questions that came in for Father Spitzer. Did you want to finish anything more of, about the one before the break? No, I, I think I, I gave a, you covered a, it. Good. as good a... Okay. Yeah. okay, good. Next up, dear Father Spitzer, my husband's on the fence about God's existence. He asked me why you refer to unborn babies as innocents. He says that since they have original sin, they should not be referred to that way. I tried to explain, but he wants to hear your take on that question. Monica. Okay, well, Monica, here's the, the take. Original sin does not mean any culpability. It just means that we're sharing in the penalty of, of, of concupiscence that was caused by the fall of our um, uh, original parents, Adam and Eve. So the, uh, uh, the key thought is there's no guilt that, uh, you know, uh, accrues to that little baby for original sin. The little baby didn't do anything. Uh, it's just the condition into which the baby is born into, uh, he's going to be subject to mm -hmm. concupiscence, but that little baby is as innocent as you could possibly be. Mm -hmm. And if that little baby dies, of course, we believe that the Lord will have mercy on that little baby because no guilt accrues to that little baby. However, at the, uh, you know, when you uh, say that, you, mm -hmm. you know, the, uh, um, uh, he can, when that little baby grows up and gets to the age of reason and can have mm -hmm. full consent of the will or at least sufficient sufficient uh, consent of the will to commit a sin, then he commits what's called actual sin rather than original sin for which he or she is culpable. Okay, very good. Uh, next up, dear Father Spitzer, currently in the U.S. there's an epidemic of homelessness and people in great need. Tragically, substance, yeah. abuse, is often, uh, substance abuse is often an issue as well. It's, I would yes. say a substantial issue. When approached directly yeah. by someone on the street for help, what's the best thing to do? Many say that the money may be used for alcohol or drugs and contribute to the problem. I'm often torn in this situation thinking, thinking that I may be ignoring or rationalizing my obligation to live my faith. Joseph. Well, Joseph, um, I'll give you my solution, which I don't think is a perfect one. And you are right. I used to try and cover, uh, you know, to get some food vouchers from a food bank and th things like that. It was just too much trouble, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And if you give uh, a person, a homeless person, um, you know, uh, you know um, an address to get a voucher, 
I'm afraid it's just not going to work. So I, I just carry a lot of ones with me, mm. uh, to be honest with you. And if I see a fellow uh, mm. who's out of luck, um, I generally will give him some, right. uh, you know, uh, dollar bills. And if I don't, certainly my assistant will, Joan. <laughs> she, and uh, uh, she's got the heart of gold, too. But I, I, I think the main thing to, to do is if you say, you know, give somebody some money, just say, please don't use this for alcohol. Mm. You know, please don't do this. You know, use it to, to help right. yourself out. Right. And that's uh, that's all you can really do. Right. And, uh, you know, they're probably going to agree. I mean, Maybe they'll use it for alcohol, and maybe it will contribute to the problem. Right. But to me, it's better than doing nothing. Right. Um, and uh, I think a lot of people really do uh, use that money um, uh, for getting something decent. Right. So, uh, yeah. Well, I was used to think, uh, for what it's worth, uh, the idea that, you know, you're doing it for the right reason. The fact that that person misuses the gift that you've oh, given yeah. them. You know, uh, yeah. so you're doing the right thing. You're trying to reach out mm -hmm. to help somebody. What they do with it, you know. Is their business. Right. Is really, yeah. that's up between yeah. them and God, I guess. Right? And you can always say, you know, please don't right. do that. You know, right. please don't use this for alcohol. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, next up, dear Father Spitzer, I've always believed that God places people in our lives for a reason. We don't always know the reason, but are the reasons good? Could he also place people in our lives to test such as someone we cannot get along with? Similarly, can Satan put people in our lives for more evil purposes? Bob. Uh, yes and yes. Uh, first, with respect to God, uh, he does put uh, people in our lives for good purposes. But I also think, though, that uh, God puts people in our lives who are uh, very challenging sometimes. And I do think that those, you know, there's a wonderful section in The Imitation of Christ where he's talking about, uh, you know, he's writing for monks, right? Uh, uh, St. Thomas Kempis is writing for monks. But I mean, the, the main thing to remember, though, is there's community members, uh, some of whom are really Really, you know, good to be around, get a lot, you know, useful things from them. And then there are people who, you know, just drive you crazy. But at the same time, what they are doing is they're really helping you to develop patience. Right. They're really helping you to get over your own superiority and your own ego. They're, sometimes they are so provocatively insulting when they are, you know, <laughs> clearly not nearly as qualified as you. And they, they make these kind of crazy remarks. And, you know, when you're, when you're younger, you kind of look at that and you go, Oh, you know, but then, you know, you sort of uh, develop, you know, a, a pretty thick skin and you, you begin to think, okay, uh, they're not aware. So you can kind of, you know, just nicely allow them to say their things without commenting too much on it. But it's building up your patience. Mm -hmm. It's detaching you from your ego. You're not so full of yourself, you know. And, of course, you can always, as my mother would say, you can always offer it up. You can always, you know, say to the Lord, you know, I didn't need this provocative and unwarranted insult uh, from this person um, who is you know, barely qualified to be saying these things, but, you know, I offer it up to you. And I want, you know, all those things, the insults you took from those Pharisees, <laughs> all the little, you know, trickeries, that, you know, the, 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 the bad faith items that you took from all those people, you know, you know, Lord, I just, I'm joining you in, uh, 
you know, kind of laughing, you know, not laughing it off, but, you know, uh, le letting it fly by and uh, just uh, giving it to the Father because all of those things you never know. You know, if you, you know, my, you know as people say, you're oftentimes, uh, more, as you look back on your life, you oftentimes are much more thankful for what you didn't say than what you did say. And those times of restraint, you know, where you didn't say something, uh, those are really that discipline of not saying things, a discipline of just, you know, you just say, Lord, you're the just judge, you right. take care of it, and just give it all to him, you know, and just let it go, just let it go, right. and don't let it bother you, just smile your way uh, right. onward. And most people, yeah. as you get older, you realize they're doing the best they can. And they, yep. you know, they don't mean, I think Napoleon had yeah. something that was kind of like the idea of saying, yeah. don't mistake to poor tack for animosity. Most things that go yeah. on are because people are screwing up or making mistakes, not because yeah. they're actually uh, intentionally trying to yeah. do something to hurt somebody. Do something. Right. Oh, yeah. And plus, yeah. you know, you look at the upbringing that people have had, you know, if they've been knocked around when they were younger or they, you know, they, they you know, were deprived of some kinds of essential love or something of that nature, or they just grew up in a family mm -hmm. that kind of was provocative and insulting all the time. Or they, oh, well, you know, whatever happens there, mm -hmm. you, you know, it's going to happen. Right. So you well, just let it fly by. Father, you know, I, and, I, uh, I didn't really expect you to reveal what you were reading in my memoir while I was writing it here. <laughs> uh, so, uh, <laughs> Well, I mean, you but, just don't uh, know what people right. went through, you yeah, know. Right. So, Absolutely. so I just, you just gotta, as, as Saint Ignatius of Loyola would say, give it the better interpretation. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it was Howie Mandel's line who said his mother said, "The only happy people I know are people I don't know very well," because every, <laughs> everybody's got issues going on in their life. Right. Yeah. Let's move Absolutely. on to uh, Satan and his issues and his tactics yeah. from your wonderful book, page two twenty-two. Yeah. You talk about. The Holy Spirit will counter the evil one's tactics by calling the victim into church or presenting him with a conversion or a book that makes God's reality and presence yeah. more palpable. Uh, how effective is that with most people, do you think? Well, you know, there's always spiritual warfare going on all the time, right? So the kind of person we're talking about is a person that St. Ignatius would say is in the first week. Here's a person, right, that is pretty much going from sin to sin. They're not quite there yet, but the Holy Spirit is not going to ever, ever, ever give up on them, right? So the, the Holy Spirit is kind of, he's going to figure out subtle ways that are going to do things. And he chooses, he customizes, the Holy Spirit customizes as much as the evil spirit customizes. Mm -hmm. So the Holy Spirit might say, well, for Spitzer, what's needed is, first of all, a very disquieting set of dreams. Mm -hmm. So then there'll be about five dreams in a row where you kind of get up and you go, Whoa, you know, <laughs> uh, this, this is what's going on here? And then, you know, followed by that, you know, now I'm kind of, you know, off balance a little bit. And then I'm zipping by a church, let's say. And remember, this is the person who's going from sin to sin. And I'm now disquieted. I'm thinking, oh, there's something amiss. And I'm feeling that a little bit of that dread and emptiness and loneliness. I go by this church, and the Holy Spirit is just basically not just saying, go in, go in. He's going, peace here. Mm -hmm. Come here. Here's the peace. Here's the fulfillment. Here's mm -hmm. what you're looking for. And so you kind of pass that church, and you think to yourself, 
Oh, should I go and should I? Oh, well, I haven't gone to church for, you know, the evil spirit's, you know, right at your elbow, right? You haven't been to church for so long. Why would you even buy? And of course, the Holy Spirit's going, go in, go in. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't shove you in the door. But, you know, and then sometimes, you know, weird things happen. Like uh, somebody will say, oh, you know, like a, it's a, a wonderful life, you know, uh, help. You know, I just need some help, you know, here. And you kind of go up the stairs or something or, you know, or something mm -hmm. will happen where you're drawn up despite yourself uh, you know just out of the goodness of your heart to do something you look in that church and go well maybe I'll just go in mm -hmm. there for a second mm -hmm. or something of that nature sometimes that little thought in the back of your mind with the dream and maybe with somebody who stimulates things mm -hmm. but the Holy Spirit is always kind of he can't go against your freedom mm -hmm. he can't push you through the door but what he is kind of doing is he's got this conspiracy of providence going on around you and other people are involved in it, maybe a television program or book, something that you come mm. across on your uh, computer, you know, whatever it may be, what, uh, these things are happening and all of a sudden they kind of mount up and you go, hmm, mm. maybe I'll just go in, you know, or maybe I'll just... Uh, uh, maybe maybe I'll just talk to old Joe there about, he was talking to me about going to church. Maybe I'll just talk to him about that or something of that nature. So, so things happen. Then the Holy Spirit, and he's not, uh, you know, at all, um, uh, the Holy Spirit's not above uh, using suffering every once mm. in a while. And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe you're kind of in the what I call the, the predisposition stage mm. of, of going ahead with things. And then suddenly, Kablamo! Mm. Something happens. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily cause those things. Much of the time, those things are absolutely naturally explicable. So, you know, maybe it did come from COVID, or maybe it did come from a, a person you know uh, having some malady that happened, or maybe something's going on with your kid that's perfectly explicable in natural terms. But it's timed, and this is with the Holy Spirit, right? He's timing things so that, you know, you've got the dream, you've got the, the you know, the pull toward the church, you got a couple of comments from your friend, and then all of a sudden, and he's timed all that stuff to happen. So right when the suffering happens, you know, and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. somebody just says, well, well, geez, Spitzer, you, you want, why don't you try praying or something? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I read this book, and here's some spontaneous prayers. And you go, well, well maybe I'll, I'll do that. You know, but anyway, the, the, if you, right. you've got to be free. Right. But, you know, and you've got to make a choice. But, boy, I'll tell you, you, you the role of friends right at that vulnerable point of suffering. You know, if somebody mm. just says, would you like to just pray with me? I'm telling you, it does immense good. Or, you know, in the case, I, I have the privilege of being able to give a blessing. Mm. So where I could just say, you know, uh, I can uh, uh, give you a blessing, you know, if, you, if you're okay with that, even if the person's not a Catholic or mm. they're just, uh, you know, somebody, you know, and, and of course people will say, yeah, mm. uh, you know, I, right. it's amazing to me, right? I'm on a plane, you know, and, and somebody's pouring their heart out to me or something uh, on a plane and I could just, I know they're not Catholic, but mm. I can just, oh, would you, would you like a, a blessing or would you like to pray with me? It's wow. amazing. You know, um, a lot of people say yes, and you got them on the road. So you can be mm. part of that 
a conspiracy of divine providence of the Holy Spirit and play that part. But you just have to have the guts to say, well, gee, would you like to just say a prayer? Or would wow. you like to say in our Father or, or something like that? And you'd be mm -hmm. surprised. A lot of people will say yes. And even if a person says no, uh, they might say something to you like, well, maybe right. I'll do it on my own. Right. You know, and that's good enough. Right, and maybe mm -hmm. even as a follow-up for, for a layperson, be able to say, "Well, I'll, I'll pray for you," you know, and that might yeah. open that person up to be to say, "Yeah, I wish, you, right. wish you would," you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah because I mean, sometimes you'll get people who will just blow back in your face. I don't want any prayers. Right. But that's only about ten percent right. of the time. Right. Ninety percent of the time, people go, "Well, thanks," you right. know. Well, so absolutely, it's just, you know. Now you go on in this section as we move down on this page. You talk about uh, Saint Augustine with Saint Ambrose and his breaking away yeah. from Manichaeanism. I don't want to get caught up in it. But he said one day when he was anguishing about whether he should commit himself to chastity and humility, uh, he talks about the child in the next yard. But I thought it was interesting. Yeah. He put chastity and humility together. Why are those? Yeah. Why, why are those together? Well, you know, uh, you know, it, it is kind of, Doug, that is such a precious, incredibly good question. Mm -hmm. and, 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 of course, most people think they're not related, mm -hmm. that one is kind of essential thing and another thing is, is really kind of an ego, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, thing. But in point of fact, they are tied, uh, you know, chastity and uh, it's, uh, egocentricity and lust are definitely linked uh, because, of course, there is a ton of narcissism involved in illicit sexual behavior, right? I want to be not only loved by somebody, I want to be thought of as desirable, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, by somebody, right? So, so that idea, I mean, ego is involved mm -hmm. all over the place, uh, you know, to be that desirable person. It's not just the fulfillment of the sensual side, it's definitely the fulfillment of the ego. And alternatively, uh, you know, when you're dealing with, uh, you know, egocentricity, boy, with a person like uh, uh, Augustine, intellectual ego, I mean, mm -hmm. this guy had an IQ, make me look like a dwarf. I mean, he, he's, he's like a, a super IQ. And, and his prose, his, his logic, I mean, you read the Confessions and you read Book 10 and, and you just simply say, oh, my gosh, what this guy was capable of at such a young age, you know. And, and, and he, you know, a, a rather new convert to Christianity, and he's blasting through stuff from original scientific kinds of insights, you know, all the way to, you know, philosophy unparalleled by none. So you're looking, did this guy, could he have had an ego? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, let's face it, self-reflectivity just mm -hmm. sort of says, well, I... I, uh, I kind of am head and shoulder <laughs> above the rest of these right. people. So one of these, you know, you, you, then you combine the two, mm. you know, you know, the super, you know, you know, capacity with, you know, the desirability and the ego of unchastity, and it's like, the pull is so huge. Mm. They're so intertwined and linked together, and that evil spirit is just going to stoke that double fire, mm -hmm. that interplay between the two of them. Mm. That uh, so finally, Augustine's prayer is, "Okay, Lord, I, I, I want chastity, but not." <laughs> Now, you know, let's push that one off for a while, you know, and uh, so he, he kind of does push it off, but then he finally, as you know, 
the, the little child is there, and of course he hears that, and he goes to the scriptures, he looks at that, and he goes, this is too much for coincidence, you mm -hmm. know, and he then uh, finally says, okay, okay, you know, you've got me, I get you, you're so subtle, dear Lord, but you are right. so obvious, right. and you are so loving, and you are my Lord, and you are rescuing me, and you are honoring my freedom, and at the same time, that love is not going to let me, you know, wallow in my sin. You're going to just be as persistent as can be. And he is one over. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, he utters that great prayer, late, late have I loved thee, O beauty ever ancient, ever new. Late have I loved thee. And then he goes through in that prayer, and he just shows you his whole mm -hmm. sort of, I was, you know, uh, I, you know, I was looking for you outside, but you were inside, mm -hmm. and he shows how God's chasing out, chasing after him, mm -hmm. you know, as he's trying to figure out the heavens and the cosmos and answering the Manichaeans and God's inside going, it's about humility, it's about chastity, mm -hmm. it's about my love for you, it's about me being present in you, it's about you having to make some room for me, just like St. Paul had to make some room for me, hmm. you know, it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, and of course at the end of the day, uh, he gets him, and wow. uh, finally, when he gets him, he just uh, Ignatius says, "I mean, uh, Augustine says, oh my gosh, you know, you've won me over so utterly, so thoroughly, you know, I, I, I you know, I can't stop yearning for you. I can't turn it off. Uh, your, your mystical, loving, holy presence just, you know, you know, entrances me." And, uh, and uh, you know, he, he goes on to describe it right. uh, with much better terms than this uh, poor Jesuit can do. Well, you're doing excellent. Uh, and it's got, we've got about under three minutes to go. And I just, before okay. we get into another topic, I want to follow up on something you said earlier. Mm -hmm. You were talking about how important yeah. friends are in, in the faith yeah. walk. And do you think yeah. where some of the issues we're having in the church, things like, is in the kind of lack of friendly contact because of not only the COVID, but, you know, the virtual reality world so many younger people live in, that they don't have quite that connectedness, maybe. Well, that's right, and I think it is a, a real problem. I mean, some young people really do make time to be with other people, uh, but a lot of young people, unfortunately, and I'm not just talking about young people in their you know teens and 20s I'm mm -hmm. talking about young people in their th 30s as well you know they just are so you know internet connected and so impatient uh, you know with any kind of communication that's not instant you know mm. uh, brief uh, almost burping and texting you know I mean uh, it's it's truly uh, amazing that they are content with superficiality and if it's not brief and superficial and sort of intense, they don't want it. They don't want nuance, they don't want uh, feeling, they do not want any kind of, you know, extended empathetic mm. sort of, you know, uh, talk. And so uh, they lose their, that companion, that deeper companionship, mm. which allows them to share the most intimate ideas with one another. Like I said, some young people, they really make provision for that in their lives. Some, some young people make no provision for it. And as a result, uh, they turn out to be what I call, um, you know, 
text affective retards. Mm. In other words, uh, I shouldn't say it that way, but mm. you know they are affectively um, not very well developed, mm. and and uh, and it's when I, it comes from texting, mm. and 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 reducing oneself to what I call uh, text communication, because text mm. communication will not promote empathy, and if you don't have that kind of empathy and you don't have that extended understanding of one another that comes from you know real uh, interpersonal relationship, mm. but only that brief sort of text right. encounter, get it over with, get me the answer, this is what I want. I don't, you know, I don't care about right. you, and I don't care about your personhood. I want your answer. You didn't give me my answer in two minutes. Question mark, question mark, question mark. I'm like, you know, back to my text, you know, right. et cetera. So when you've got that kind of thing, you are becoming affectively underdeveloped. And then finally, um, you know, you're becoming really uh, almost antithetical to amp empathy. And then once that happens, uh, you can become a very unpleasant personality, actually. And, and uh, you know, and uh, kind of a terse uh, sort of a right. personality. Well, we only got a minute yeah. and a half to go, so we need you to do, do okay. the blessing. <laughs> oh, oh, true. Oh, sorry. All right. Well, very good. Well, uh, and um, uh, please bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may the Lord who truly is love, the Lord who truly reached into the life of St. Augustine and reaches into your life, into your heart, into the innermost parts of your affect, move you to love him in return, move you to love others as he has loved you, move you into that patience, into that love, and into that goodness and gentleness that betrays everything within him. So may Almighty God of that love bless you, Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father Spitzer. Be well. We shall see you next week. Hopefully, we'll see you as well. Don't forget about Father Spitzer's wonderful books through our religious catalog. Next week, we'll continue with our topic from the book, Satan Customizes His Temptations. And, of course, we've got a bookmark with Father Jeffrey Kirby that I did that we're airing, Manual for Suffering. Very good book. Check that out. Father Kirby's always a lot of fun. And Pope Francis on a pastoral visit to Canada beginning Sunday. July 24th through the 29th. Check EWTN's website for all the events and showtimes in your area. We will have complete coverage on the ground from Canada. Father D'Souza and Kevin Dunn, check it out, and we'll see you next time in Father Spencer's Universe. Thanks.